One of the most significant and probably important moments in my life uh, was going in the very early 90s to Seoul, Korea. It was there that I didn't realize I was, uh, what was going to begin to take place. I was going for one reason, which was definitely something very special, but ended up getting blindsided with something that was even going to become more important to me. I was going there because it was the first time it was going to be attempted that they were bringing together a million people to pray in downtown Seoul, Korea. I had the opportunity to be around a million people to pray. I looked and there was a sea of people from all over the world. It was one of the most, uh, it was one of the most incredible things to even witness as Yoido Full Gospel Church, um, a church of some uh, membership of a million people, um, put together this prayer meeting. And I went to their church prayer meeting on Friday night and 24,000 gathered together to pray for the Friday night prayer meeting. Just to give you perspective, they have 60,000 deacons and deaconesses in the church. So to have like a deacons meeting, you go to Yankee Stadium. And what's amazing was it wasn't, it wasn't that meeting that touched me. It was an unexpected bus ride that God began to do something when I was in Korea. They have a, a, a mountain there called Pur Mountain where they invite people to go and pray 24 hours a day. They say on average 12,000 people are there praying around the clock, 12,000 people. I decided I would go and pray there. And so I got on a bus ride, and this is what began to change my life. As I got on that bus ride, on my way to Prayer Mountain, um, I sat next to a young Korean pastor that, that was in the area who spoke English. We happened to sit next to each other on the bus, and we started talking. And I found out he was a brand new pastor of a church, and so I asked them, I, said, you, I just go, how, how did you start your church? Well, he said, my church gave us 5,000 people to start a brand new church. I'm going, that's a, that's a lot of people to start a new church. And he says, and I go up once a week to pray for 24 hours a day. And I was just amazed at this young man and the commitment that he had to prayer. And then as I started to talk with him, I said, well, tell me, how was your time in the word of God? Tell me about your time in the Bible. And all of a sudden, I saw this young man begin to tear up, and he said, pray for me. He said, I'm struggling in the Bible. He says, I only read the Bible once a month. I said, you have a church of 5,000 people, and you're reading the Bible once a month? And he just said, yes, yes. He says, please pray for me. He says, I, I just, I need help. I know it's wrong, and I need to get better. And he said, every month, I start at Genesis and finish through Revelation, and I read the entire Bible once a month, but I'm trying. I said, wait a second. So when you say you read the Bible once a month, I said, you mean the whole Bible? He said, yes, but please, I'm trying better. I said, everything, everything in the Bible once a month. He goes, please tell me. He says, how much do you read it? I said, well, I'm not the issue here. I said, let's talk about this and realize what's going on here. Once a month, he's reading the whole Bible, 12 times a year. Some of us in this place are still in Leviticus in October and trying to figure out how to get through the Bible. Once a month, I'm listening, and that bus ride, I began to see it change my attitude by that young man, just by that, that, that two-hour trip up there I thought I was going for prayer, but God was going to do something in my heart with the Word of God, and that I would start a journey of not just reading the Bible, 
but loving this Bible. And that was what changed. And I started to realize what A.W. Tozer, the great, the great Christian writer, said. He said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy. Regardless of how harmless it may appear, it becomes an enemy if it keeps me from this book. So as I gave the Word of God priority in my life, I realized that this is what I want to talk about. It's more than just a book. There is something powerful here that the body of Christ is missing, that our pulpits are even missing preaching the Word of God. This is week in Washington, D.C., a number of our staff went to join our general overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon, as he spoke at an event called the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. It was a true prayer meeting as leaders came together to pray for our nation, to repent as believers, to repent as a church, and even to repent as a nation. It was a two-hour prayer meeting um, that we gathered together. Probably one of the significant things that happened there that gave us hope. Pastor Carter and I were talking about it yesterday at that prayer meeting. And folks, I think it's so important for us to tell you that God has a witness everywhere. Um, we saw 30 U.S. congressmen come and pray at that prayer meeting. And every one of them prayed. Some cried. Some were praying the scriptures. It, it gave me hope that God has a witness in Washington, D.C. I want you to understand that, that, that folks, regardless of what you see on the news, God has his Daniels and his Josephs and his Esthers that are planted right there in Congress. Our heart began just to well up with joy as we saw that, that on Capitol Hill, that he has a witness there. But the other thing that started to challenge me was it happened at the Museum of the Bible. And while we were there, this amazing jewel, this treasure right in the heart of Washington, D.C. that shows, I mean, literally just right around the Capitol and the White House and, and, the, and, the, and the Washington Monument, there sits this beautiful, gorgeous museum called the Museum of the Bible. And to see in six floors this, the history and the sacrifice that went on um, throughout the centuries for the book of all books, the sacrifice from Tyndale to Wycliffe, from Gutenberg to Luther, to see those Bibles presented there, men that have given their life, women that have, that have given their, made a sacrifice so we can hold in our hand the Word of God, something more than just a book. And I watched this and, and began to, in the short time we were there, it ignited my heart for me to speak about this today. And I want to show you, just over these next few moments, almost as a precursor to worldview, that no better place to start than talking to you about the importance of the Word of God. And no better place to start than what it meant to Jesus. Because I want to start with where Christ started. Because at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, he starts by showing the power of this Bible to defeat the enemy, and then ends with this, the, the power of this Bible to ignite hearts and to let hearts begin to inflame with this, that it is more than a book, that the Bible, this is what I started to realize, the Bible fights and the Bible ignites the heart from Matthew 4 in a desert to a road in Emmaus called in Luke 24, which sets hearts on fire but it also fights against our greatest foe. And that's why 
the enemy will do whatever he can, even with harmless things, to remove this word from us. Jesus' ministry starts with the weapon and ends with the fire. We're reminded in the book of Ephesians that this Bible is, a, is, is more than a book. It's a weapon. Think of this for just a moment. When, when the Apostle Paul tells us about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 17, he says, and take the helmet of salvation. And it's interesting. Right after salvation, he says, then I need you to go right to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look, look at that. He says, I've got to take those that have experienced salvation and get the Word to become part of their life. It's the only part of the armor list in Ephesians 6 that is not for defense. It's an offensive weapon that's, that God gives to us. How does the word in that verse go from being, how, do, how does the word of God go from just being a book to becoming the sword of the spirit? How does that happen? Or another question is, how do you turn your Bible into a weapon, not against people, but against the foe, the enemy? How does, this, how does this become that for us? Well, I'm telling you, I, I, I want to show you today, just over the next few moments, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. It's when Jesus comes face to face with Satan himself in what is known as the, temp, the three temptations in the wilderness. And the power of the word of God, and I want to share with you on how this happens, that not just words on a page, more than a book, but truly the word of God becomes the sword of the spirit in this chapter. Listen to what happens starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, then Jesus was led up into the, by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, and after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For now, don't, don't miss this part. I, 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 was, I was deciding whether even to bring this up, but I think I better. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says it is written, but isn't it interesting that Satan comes back and quotes the scripture to Jesus? Look what this, that, that, that it is written up there. That's from the enemy. That's not Jesus, which means the enemy knows how to distort this book. The enemy knows how to take this book and begin to take these scriptures apart and use them against you. So let's just be clear. Just because someone says it is written doesn't mean it's, that's the way it's supposed to be read. Just because it's written that, listen to this. He says, Satan says, he'll give, he, he quotes Psalm 91. He'll command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He was saying, jump off this temple. God will save you. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Then the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things, I will give to you, look at this, if you fall down and worship, look, look over here for a second. It's amazing because you see here in temptation, I want to make note of this, that what temptation is, is many times to give you what God has already promised, but the wrong way and the wrong timing. 
Can you go back to verse 8? Look at, look at verse 8 again. He says, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and his, of the glory. And this is what he said. The way to get them, verse 9, is if you bow down and worship me. Isn't it amazing when you read, when you, we won't put it on the screen, but when you read Revelation chapter 11, the Bible says this. He says, all the kingdoms of this world belong to, the, to, to our Christ and Lord. Everything belongs. That it wasn't going to come by falling down and worshiping Satan. It was going to come through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what happens. And Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I think the best way to understand the power of this passage is by noticing what happened directly before the wilderness. It's at the end of chapter 3. Jesus gets water baptized. And here's what's interesting. Right after God speaks to Jesus, Satan speaks to Jesus. That The, the voice of Satan in chapter 4 comes right on the heels of heaven opening. Listen to it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Right after Jesus is baptized, the Bible says, and behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And as soon as God speaks, Satan comes. And isn't it interesting that the father said, this is my beloved son. And Satan kept saying, if you are the son of God. That's where Satan knows. Whenever God says something to you, the enemy is always going to come and challenge that every single time. It's questioning what God said. But can I just remind you, it's not even, it's Satan is not even creative. It was the same tactic back in the, in the book of Genesis. When God speaks to Adam and Eve, look at it. The first recorded words of the devil. Here it is. First recorded words of Satan is this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he, the enemy, the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say? Folks, he said it in Genesis. He said it in the desert to Jesus. And can I just promise you, he says it on 51st and Broadway. Every time you hear the word of God here, soon as you walk outside those doors, the enemy's going to come. Is that really what God means? Is that really what God is saying? He'll always come against what God is speaking to us. And that's why we have to understand, how did Jesus fight the satanic voice? Three times Jesus said these words, it is written. He would go back to the word of God every single time. That, that is your weapon, church. Jesus went to the word to fight every attack of Satan. And you fight the voice of hell with the word of God. That's how you fight hell that comes against you. See, it's the challenge that the Bible gives to us. After, here's what I want to challenge you. For those online, those that are sitting here today, for those who believe in Jesus, I want to challenge you. It's time to take your belief and go deeper. To go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Some of you are going to be water baptized in the, in the upcoming weeks, and that's good. But there's something deeper. In fact, this is the challenge of Jesus for every believer to go deeper. Listen, what comes after believe, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, is to abide in my words, and then freedom comes as you abide in his word. Listen to it. 
Verse 30 of John 8, you have to see this. As he, Jesus, spoke these words, many believed on him. Here it comes, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And then he continues on. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Do you understand what he said? He said, what, what you do, after you have made the decision to say, I want to be born again, it's you taking the next step and saying, God, I want to go deeper. I want to begin to walk with you. It's the challenge of abiding in his word. That's John 8, 31. To those who believe, he said, abide in my word. What does that word abide mean? Here it is. Let me give it to you as simple as I can. The word actually means, abide means giving God time. To spend time in this word. The word abide has, has length of time. Not just one, one service a week or two services a week. It's spending time with God. The day that you followed Jesus, you got just a taste but now it's to experience even more what God has for you. And not just experience God, but to experience freedom that God wants to bring even into our lives. See, when I abide in his word, this becomes more than just a book. It turns my Bible into a weapon against the enemy. We, as we abide in this it fights against the sin that wants to come in, the temptation that wants to come against us. It, it empowers us and equips us. You ready for this? Because you know why some of us can't say it is written to any temptation? Because we've never read enough to say it is written. It has to be more than just listening to sermons. We have to begin to feed on this word every single day. My goodness, if we just said to you, hey, you, have to, you get to eat food once every, every seven days. Some of you, there would be a riot in this place. My goodness. But that's what we do when we come to church and say that's the only food that we get. We've got to feed ourselves every single day from this book. And here's, here's what I've learned. I want you to jot down. just let me, let me talk to you about that Bible that fights for just a second. This is what I've learned. Get this down. Every book of the Bible has devil-defeating power. I want, to, I want to explain this to you. Every book of the Bible can defeat the enemy. I believe this. Pastor Tim, how do you get this from, from, Matthew, from Matthew 4? Okay, Jesus said these words. It is written, he said it three times. Three times. And every one of Jesus's it is written's came from the same Old Testament book. Jesus went back to the word, took something out of the Old Testament, and defeated the enemy. You ready? Listen to it. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 7, Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then in verse 10, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You ready for this, folks? All three verses came from the book of Deuteronomy. You didn't even know it had power. You're trying to get from Deuteronomy. You're trying to skip over to say, let's just get to Psalms and Proverbs. Here's what's amazing. All three of these verses come. I, I'm telling you, folks, this is amazing to me. Jesus showed us the power of the word of God, even to some of you that are sitting here 
just some obscure book. He said, because it's my word, there is power even in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus showed us the power of the Bible. He showed us you can beat Satan with Deuteronomy. You don't just need Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament. You can go to Isaiah and Jeremiah from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And God says, it's my word, and my word wins every single time. Can I, can I just tell you, I, listen, I, I've been there. I, after, after being challenged by that bus ride and starting to read the Bible, even the very first moments of reading it, I, how many have ever read the Bible, you read it through a, a chapter and you're going, what? I don't even remember what I just read. Anybody ever do that? But you're going like, I, I don't even remember. What is, how can that do anything? Can, can I tell you, I want to just challenge you. Even when you're reading and you're uninspired, don't stop. It's still valuable. Even when you feel like, I don't even know what I just read. I can't even spell Deuteronomy. And you're thinking, how do I, how do I get through this? I want to challenge you. Don't stop. Even reading is still working. What do you mean, Pat? Let me explain it to you this way. I remember Cindy and I were taking the kids on a road trip from New York City to Canada, and we just finished a weekend of services, and we had a few days, about a week off, and we, we, we were going to spend time with friends in Canada and driving from New York City. And I remember, I was so tired, and, and, I, and someone said, hey, so you don't fall asleep. I've, I've, I've done it once, and I've never done it again, but, but I'm telling you, it works. Someone's, I just said, I'll just drink coffee. They told me this. They said, try this thing called five-hour energy. I said, what? I said, these, this little, I said, that little, I said, I drink coffee. I'll just drink it black. They said, no, no, no. So you don't get in a wreck. Try this five-hour energy drink. Folks, we stopped at a gas station. I got that little bottle. I'm just going, it was like juice. I'm just going, it was like communion. And I drank that thing. I could have drove from here to Bulgaria. I'm just telling you right now. I was going, what? Seriously? I, I drank that little thing. And here's what's amazing. I mean, you felt it immediately. Five-hour energy. For real. As, as we're doing this. Okay, here's my other question. I'm not asking. So I'm just, just how many? Well, I am. How, how many take vitamins? Raise your hand. How many after you take in, whether it's A, B, C with rose hips, whatever that is, how many take that vitamin and you've taken that vitamin and feel different? Raise your hand. No, you don't. Put your hands down. You don't, you don't go like, oh, I'm all seed up. I'm all eat up. You don't do that. You take the vitamin and that's it. Here's what I want you to understand. Listen, listen to me closely. The Bible is not five-hour energy. It's vitamins. Even when you don't feel it, it's still doing the work it's supposed to do deep inside your soul. 
So as some of you are going, well, it's just not working. Every time I read this, I just can't get inside. It's vitamins. It's protecting your system. It's giving you a shield against the virus to come in against your soul. And I'm telling you, keep reading. This book is a weapon. It will help you every single time. This book is powerful. But you have to spend time in the book. Someone said God feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the food in their nests. So you got to open it up. God's not just throwing worms in the nest. He says, you've got to go after it. you got to go after this. You've got to give God priority. you got to go, God, let me, let me open this book up. And I think for those that are serious about it, God does that. Let me give you one other thought about fighting, and then we're gonna, I'm going to close with what it means to ignite our hearts. I, I truly believe this. If Jesus needed the word of God to defeat the devil, what makes you think you can have victory without the word of God? Let's just be honest. If Jesus says, if Jesus set the precedent, folks, you are not going to be the exception. It, 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 it's impossible. He was saying, I'm about to fight the, the, the ruler of hell, Lucifer himself, not even demons, but Lucifer. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you how to defeat the devil. And folks, I'm going to say this, that when you are struggling and fighting, when temptation is coming against you personally, your mind, when you are beginning to struggle, whether it's a marriage, whether it's, it's, it's something online, whatever that could be, Folks, I want you to understand there's no, amount, there's no amount of counseling, preaching, church attendance can ever replace the word of God. There, you, can't, you can't just keep going, well, I'm listening to podcasts. Jesus never once says, it is podcasted. It is on YouTube. Read the Bible. I don't care whether you read it off your phone, an iPad, or, or you're old, like us, and you have a book. Read the Word of God. Folks, I'm telling you, a wordless Christian is a powerless Christian. It's a powerless Christian. When I have people come into my office that are struggling, I ask this question every single time. Every time they'll come in and say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this. I've asked this question for over 40 years in counseling, and it's always this. Tell me about your time in the Word, and tell me about your time in prayer. Folks, can I, let me just help you, because I'm going to save you from setting up a counseling appointment. Here it is. Pastor Patrick, you're welcome. Here it is. In 40-plus years of ministry, no one has ever come in and said this. You know, I've been reading the word an hour a day. I'm praying an hour a day, but I can't stop looking at porn. No one has ever said that to me. No one has ever said, I've been reading the word an hour, praying an hour, but I can't stop gambling. Or I can't, or my wife and I will read the word and we'll pray together every single day, but we just, just can't seem to get through. We want to divorce. I've never seen that in my life. Because when something grows cold in this, I'm saying you lose your defense system. You lose the very thing that God helps us to fight. I'm telling you this amazingly, but it's giving God priority time. I made a commitment many years ago. I said before I would look at the news, before I would look at from a, from a ESPN, a CNN, a Fox, the New York Times, 
that I have to be, I have to go into the word before anything else. Before I turn on anything else, this has to be the priority. Even above Christian books, the great Christian missionary Amy Carmichael said it like this. She says, never let good books take the place of the Bible. She said this, drink from the well, not from the streams that flow from the well. Folks, this is the well. Drink from the well of God. That's why I'm just telling you, if all you do is get preaching from this pulpit, that's a stream. Go to the well. Go to the source. Let this book live inside of you. This is where it starts. This is what God wants to do. Best definition I've ever heard of this phrase, lukewarm from Revelation chapter 3 is this. Lukewarm means this. I still believe in God. I'm just not that excited about him anymore. I still believe in God, but I'm not, just, I'm not, I'm not that excited anymore about him. Folks, I'm telling you, every time I get close to this, my heart ignites. There are those uninspired days, and I'm going, it's vitamins, God. It's vitamins, God. It's vitamins, God. But I'm telling you, the more I spend time in this book, my heart begins to ignite. What's dangerous about that's happening to the church in America, I was reading from a non-Christian, very outspoken, liberal, HBO political pundit, Bill Maher, says this. He was assessing how Christians feel. This is, this is not even a believer. Assessing what believers think about this book. You know what he said? He said, to most Christians, the Bible is like a software license. Nobody actually reads it. They just scroll down to the bottom and just say, I agree. Folks, let's read this book. Let's let this book ignite our souls. Let God do something in this book. Because I need... Folks, the temptations that come against us, that comes against you to our college students, to our high school students, for those that are watching around the world, we need a, it is written in our souls. But in order for some to say it is written, we have to read what is written. And to say, God, help us as we begin to understand what you're saying to us. And here's my experience as we get ready to close. Jot this down. The Bible is dull when I'm dull. When my spiritual life is dull, the Bible is dull. This doesn't mean anything to me. When I'm dull, the Bible's dull. Folks, I'm just telling you right now that I realize this. When I'm alive in Christ, when God is moving, when I want nothing more than Jesus, I'm telling you this word opens up. It multiplies. It reveals depths faster than I can write them down. And this book sets me on fire. But when I'm dull, it just doesn't mean that much. Scroll to the bottom and just click, I agree. Last night, I was finishing up praying for you, praying for this morning as we get ready to close. And I heard outside of our apartment window, the New York City Fire Department sirens, just like we just heard a few minutes ago. Heard the sirens going by. It's amazing to me that those sirens make you stand up every time and look out the window. I want to see the fire truck, and I want to see if there's any smoke. And I want to see if I need to evacuate. And you're kind of looking, and so you hear them close by, and something inside of you is as, as if to say, fire doesn't need any advertisement. It needs no advertisement. It, there's something in you that makes you want to hear when you hear it, 
to see where it's going, to see what's happening, and to find it. On a spiritual note, the great evangelist John Wesley said this. He says, get on fire for God, and the people will come and watch you burn. Just get on fire for God. People will come. Doesn't need any advertisement. Doesn't need any advertisement. Get on fire for God, and people will go, something's different about you. And folks, there is no fire without this. There is no fire. Let, let, me, let me explain this. As I was praying through this, those sirens, believe it or not, made me think of a fire that happened seven miles outside of Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible records that right after Jesus was raised from the dead, a fire happened seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Here's the good news. The good news is this, is that there was no building burst into flames, no property was damaged, and no life was lost. But two hearts on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says, were set on fire from hearing Jesus talk about the word of God. Something happened when Jesus opened up the scriptures and explained their fire happened inside of them. And what's crazy is, did you know after the resurrection, this encounter, this fire encounter that took place, Yuka and Duran, he met with these two men, and we only get one of their names. He, only, he met with these two men even before he went to see the 11 disciples because Judas wasn't even part of it. Judas was already was gone. And before he would go to an upper room and tell his own disciples, I'm risen from the dead, he had a mission. I've got to set two guys on fire in the word of God before I get to an upper room. That was his mission. That on the way to telling the disciples, he's going to talk to two men, what the Bible says, on the road to Emmaus and start a fire. Jesus set their hearts on fire, the Bible says, when he opened up the word of God to him in Luke 24. Let me read to you what it says in Luke 24. Here's what it says. They said to one another, this is right after Jesus left and went to the upper room, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? And here it comes. And while he was explaining the scriptures to us, didn't our hearts catch on fire? And folks, this book doesn't just fight for us. It ignites our soul. When I'm telling you, when a church has found itself in lukewarmness, uh, listen, I'm telling pastors, leaders, get back to the word of God. Set the heart on fire. Get back to this. Let, let God, let God, let God open this book up for us. It was amazing. This is what set their hearts on fire. You, you know, I, I want to just say this as a side note before, before we close here. Their hearts were set on fire, these two Jewish men. We only know one of their names. And it was just, I jotted this down because the Bible says this in verse 27. It's not on the screen, um, but in Luke 24, 27, it says, in beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, 
he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. To begin with Moses, that's, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Remember Deuteronomy? That's the, the book that defeats the devil, the one that you keep skipping. So that Deuteronomy, that defeats the devil. And all the prophets. He starts going through Jeremiah and Isaiah, all the major and the minor prophets, going through Daniel and Hosea, going through Malachi, all the prophets. And this is what's amazing. Their hearts were set on fire, not by learning something new, but by seeing the Old Testament with fresh eyes. These two men were not strangers to the scriptures. They were Jews. They knew the book. The Old Testament was familiar, familiar to them. They studied this book as children. They knew the law and the prophets. They knew the writings of Moses and the prophets. But what set them on fire, here it comes, folks, were not the words, but the person behind the words, that Jesus was present with them. Jesus was there with them, which just tells me this. L listen to me. You, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then it's words. You can't be set on fire unless Christ is inside of you. Then the Christ behind these words begins to open this up, and all of a sudden, our hearts begin to ignite, going, there's something here. Why is it that when Cindy, when, when my wife Cindy gave her heart to the Lord, when shared the gospel with her, she goes home, gets saved, and all of a sudden, my wife, who's working for a bank, one of the, uh, for the loan department, and, and, and while she's at the bank, the, God just started to ignite her heart. She started to read this book three hours a day. What is that? For those who believe, you are my disciples if you abide in this word. And not only that, as you abide in this, this is what he says, 832, and then you're going to know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. You want freedom? Believe. You want freedom? Abide in the word. You want freedom? I'm telling you, it can happen in your heart today. Hey, let, let, me, let me explain it like this. I have to say this. Uh, oh, I'm doing so good with time. So I don't, so you're going to, you, you, don't, don't even reach for your keys. And don't turn it off either. I'm, I know Norway, Belgium, you better keep it on. A heart set on fire from the word of God is a powerful weapon. What do you mean, Pastor? You know, I learned something. I was, I was reading this article on, on this group of people, especially on the West Coast, called Hot Shots. Hot Shots are the guys that when a wildfire comes, these are the specially trained firemen that go in and make sure that the wildfire doesn't begin to destroy all of the, 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 the grounds and the, and the, the forest, and, and especially on the West Coast, California specifically, and they call them hot shots. And they have, folks, and this, man, this was good. They said one of the ways, I mean, you've seen it, they'll come through with airplanes and drop water or they'll drop all this stuff, but they say one of the ways that they stop wildfire, you ready for this? It goes, one of the ways we fight it is by a backfire. What does that mean? We, well, in New York, we're going like, what is the car messing? No. What backfire is, before the fire comes, they light the ground 
they set it on fire that when the fire comes, you can't take over it. It's already been lit on fire. They burned it already and they can't, that fire can't find anything to get to. Woo! Jesus, I can't. I'm telling you, I read that article and I'm going, ooh, I got so excited because I'm going, that's why, that's why you set our hearts on fire. That when the enemy comes in with the fire of lust or greed or all this stuff, you can just go, that fire can't touch you. You're already on fire. You're already burning with me. You're already doing something. The fire has already started. That wildfire can't find you because God has already set me on fire with this book. I am in this book. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Hallelujah. See, when your heart has not been set on fire by his word, then other things are going to come in and ignite it. Don't tell me that you can't defeat temptation. Don't tell me you can't be victorious. I'm telling you, this book ignites you, and that when the fire comes at you, you're going, fire, there's nothing here. Greed, anger, lust, you can't find it in here. I'm already on fire. I'm already burning up with Jesus. He has set my heart on fire. Let me, uh, let me challenge some of you believers for a second. Listen to this verse. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. Look at that. That's in your Bible. Some of you going, I didn't know it was there. Read it. It's there. This is the wood. The Holy Spirit comes down. I'm telling you, every time I read this, I'm building kindling in this soul. And all heaven has to do is come down and breathe fire. I'm telling you, there is, I want you, I want choir, musicians, anyone who speaks from this pulpit. Let me just tell you something. Our gift can't protect us. You can be the greatest preacher, the greatest guitar. You can be the greatest drummer. You can be the greatest choir member in history. That doesn't save us. We need the wood and the fire from heaven to come down. You have to be in the Word. 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 Listen, no one has ever said when they come to their deathbed, I've read the Bible too much. I wish I would have spent less time in the Bible. I've been at many deathbeds. That final moments before people pass. No one's ever said, I prayed too much. I should have watched more TV. No one has ever said that. Don't let this be a day of regret. Get the wood. Set that fire up. Take the challenge. Give church. Let this word take prime time. Let it be a weapon and let it ignite your heart. Let it fight for you and let it ignite your soul. And finally, for the person who does not know God, I am convinced of this. All you have to do is hear the scriptures. 
see them on a screen and something is beginning to speak to your heart and soul today. I, I believe that. I have a friend who was an imam in Lebanon. He was the one that would send out the call to prayer multiple times a day in Lebanon. And he said some missionary gave him a Bible and he had to secretly hide it, but he read it every day. And every day he read that, he said it was like a fire deep inside of him until something came that he could not he could not continue on because he knew that that was the resurrected Jesus, that something was happening. They go, I have to put this down. I've got to, basically he had to quit his job because he just found the resurrected Jesus and realized that this, this book does something that no other book can do This because this is God's word. We'll talk about that when we get to the letter B, the Bible, when we do worldview. But here's my challenge to you today. God's word can change your life today. God's word can change you. Those that are watching from India right now, those that are watching from the Philippines, those that are watching from Japan, I'm speaking to you, Russia, right now. Russia, listen to me. Sweden, Belgium, this word is speaking to your hearts right now. Right now in South Africa, right now in Kenya, right now. I'm believing God is going to touch your heart right now that, that it's not the words. It's not the words that set them. It was the person behind the words. It was Jesus who penned these words, who spoke, breathed, and all of a sudden. So it's not you getting, this is not, listen, folks, it's not you just starting to read. It's you having Jesus inside of you that sets us on fire. He explains it. He opens it up. And today that can happen to you. Let me ask you this, every head up, every eye looking around, those online, for every Christian that's in this place, every person that says, I am a believer, I am following Jesus, but I am making a fresh commitment this year that this book is going to set me on fire and it's going to be my new weapon, not a book. It's going to be more than a book this year. Come on. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand going this year. It's going to change for me. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Balcony, main floor, at home. Come on, raise it up. I don't care if you're the only one sitting there and you're going, no one sees me. I, we see you. Raise it up right now, right now. Okay, keep the hands up. Look at the person next to you and say, you better do this. And look at the other person next to you and go, I'm going to ask you next week. I'm going to ask you next week. When we start next week, that series for 26 weeks, the Bible says, worldview from A to Z, we're going to equip you, and we're, I believe God's going to set your hearts on fire. God's going to set hearts on fire. We're going to equip you, both of those services. And if you don't get enough at the, at the 10, then just show up at the 1. Bring people. We're going to believe for God to do that. But let me ask you this. But you may be standing here today. I would never, ever have us leave this place because it's not this book that sets you free. It is Jesus that sets you free. And today, that can happen inside of you. Today, that can take place right now. Your heart can get set on fire when there's a when Christ comes in and changes you from the inside out. That relationship is called being born again. It's not only gets you ready for heaven, because Jesus said this, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. But it not just gets you ready for heaven, but it sets your fire, your heart on fire right now. True life comes right now. If you're in this place and you just say, Pastor Tim, I want my life changed. It's not a church, it's not a book, it's not anything we can sing today. It has to be Jesus that comes in and changes you from the inside out. 
I'm not inviting you to a religion. Religion says show up for two hours on a Sunday. And folks, I can tell you, soon as you leave this place, that voice is waiting for you outside. That voice is waiting outside. And I'm telling you, I want you to have Christ inside of you that when you walk outside this building and all of a sudden that voice goes, that's nothing, it's just a religion. You can say, it is written. Satan comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus comes that I might have life and more abundantly. That's what I'm inviting you to today. More abundantly today. It is written. It is written. Set your hearts on fire today. But he has to be inside. You, have to, you, you need that. Not you in a church. Christ in you. And if you want that today, with every head up, every I look around, Pastor Tim, how do I get that born again relationship? It's first starting, and we'll deal with this in two weeks, admitting that we're sinners. That we all have a condition called sin. And we can't fix it ourselves. But God sending his son 2,000 years ago, Fix the sinful condition I couldn't fix with a promise, a prescription, a program. I couldn't fix it myself. But Christ, dying for me on the cross, died the death I was supposed to die. And today, that death, it's believing that he came and died in my place and can change me. And then saying, I want you to be in my life. I want you to be Lord. I want to confess you as Lord. It's the beginning of being born again. But that's just the believe part. Listen. Because then he's going to challenge you to then abide in his word. To everyone who believed, abide in his word. John 8, 30, 31, and 32. So what do I do after I believe? I abide in the word, and then truth sets me free. Truth sets me free. Every head up, every eye looking around. I don't care if you came here from the concierge, from the Hampton Inn. It doesn't matter. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to start. A, I want to start. I want to start a relationship. I want to journey with God today. I need to get things right with God today. I want to be a Christian today. When you pray that born again prayer online, balcony, main floor, would you put me? And we'll all pray this prayer together. But I want every head up, every eye looking around. If you go, put me in that prayer because I want to start a journey with God without any hesitation. That you hold up your hand as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can. Keep them up. Look at all those hands. That's fantastic. Keep them up. Keep them up. All over there, over there. I see you back there. All over here, back there, back there. Balcony, I see you up there. All the way in the back. I see you guys right over there. I see you guys. That's fair. Hey, can we all pray this together? Come on, let's say this together online and in person. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is my home, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. 
Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.